Having reached, at last, the age of thirty-two, his appetite for adventure surfeited, his health having grown indifferent as the result of a neglected wound. He was suddenly overwhelmed by homesickness. He took ship from Nantes with intent to cross to Ireland, but the vessel being driven by stress of weather into Bridgewater Bay, and Blood's health having grown worse during the voyage, he decided to go ashore there. Additionally urged to it, by the fact that it was his mother's native soil. Thus, in January of that year, 1685, he had come to Bridgewater, possessor of a fortune that was approximately the same as that with which he had originally set out from Dublin eleven years ago. Because he liked the place, in which his health was rapidly restored to him, and because he conceived that he had passed through adventures enough for a man's lifetime, he determined to settle there, and take up at last the profession of medicine from which he had, with so little profit, broken away. That is all his story, or so much of it as matters, up to that night, six months later, when the Battle of Sedgemoor was fought. Deeming the impending action no affair of his, as indeed it was not, and indifferent to the activity with which Bridgewater was that night agog, Mr. Blood closed his ears to the sounds of it, and went early to bed. He was peacefully asleep, long before eleven o'clock, at which hour, as you know, Monmouth rode but with his rebel host along the Bristol Road, circuitously to avoid the marshland that lay directly between himself and the royal army. You also know that his numerical advantage, possibly counterbalanced by the greater steadiness of the regular troops on the other side, and the advantages he derived from falling by surprise upon an army that was more or less asleep, were all lost to him by blundering and bad leadership before ever he was at grips with Feversham. The armies came into collision in the neighborhood of two o'clock in the morning. Mr. Blood slept undisturbed through the distant boom of cannon, not until four o'clock, when the sun was rising to dispel the last wisps of mist over that stricken field of battle, did he awaken from his tranquil slumbers. He sat up in bed, rubbed the sleep from his eyes, and collected himself. Blows were thundering upon the door of his house, and a voice was calling incoherently. This was the voice that had aroused him. Conceiving that he had to do with some urgent obstetrical case, he reached for bedgown and slippers to go below. On the landing he almost collided with Mrs. Barlow, new-risen and unsightly, in a state of panic. He quieted her cluckings with a word of reassurance, and went himself to open. There, in slanting golden light of the new-risen sun, stood a breathless, wild-eyed man and a steaming horse. Smothered in dust and grime, his clothes in disarray, the left sleeve of his doublet hanging in rags, the young man opened his lips to speak, yet for a long moment remained speechless. In that moment Mr. Blood recognized him for the young shipmaster, Jeremiah Pitt, the nephew of the maiden ladies opposite, one who had been drawn by the general enthusiasm into the vortex of that rebellion. 
The street was rousing, awakened by the sailors' noisy invasion. Doors were opening, and lattices were being unlatched for the protrusion of anxious, inquisitive heads. "'Take your time now,' said Mr. Blood. "'I never knew speed made by overhaste.' But the wild-eyed lad paid no heed to the admonition. He plunged headlong into speech. "'It is Lord Gildoy,' he panted. "'He is sore wounded at Oglethorpe's farm by the river. "'I bore him thither, and, and he sent me for you. "'Come away, come away!' "'He would have clutched the doctor, "'and hailed him forth by force in bedgown and slippers as he was. "'But the doctor eluded that too eager hand. "'To be sure, I'll come,' said he. "'He was distressed.' 